Well, good evening and welcome, my dear listeners, to Voices of the Sacred Feminine, broadcasting across the globe for eight years now, discussing sex, power, politics, and religion, all the things your mom might have told you not to discuss at the dinner table. Well, I know mine sure did. That's what she said. She said, these were the topics for men. I should be worried about that list of chores that she posted on the refrigerator for me. Well, is there any wonder I got the hell out of Dodge? (laughs) I'm your host, Karen Tate, and I'm so glad to be with you tonight. Uh, I missed being with you last week, but I was celebrating my honey, Roy's birthday. Uh, Roy and I have been married 30 years in just a few weeks, and we have his birthday and our anniversary right back to back. In fact, uh, we are renewing our vows the fourth Sunday of this month at the Goddess Temple of Orange County. So if you're in the area, please come. Consider it an open invitation. You know, um, the Goddess Temple in Orange County, it's so beautiful. If you haven't visited it, um, you know, it's open to the public Friday and Saturday afternoons for meditation and viewing the beautiful museum exhibits of Goddess from the Paleolithic uh, to the present. Goddess spiritual celebrational services are every Sunday, rain or shine, from 11 to 1230. Uh, Those are for women, but the fourth Sunday is for all genders. So, um, oh, and also, too, every Friday now from 5 to 7, they have something called the Temple's Venus Hour. It's Orange County's best happy hour with libations, snacks, music, movies, and meeting new people. And it's you know what? It's all free. So if you're interested in that, I can't say enough good stuff about the Goddess Temple of Orange County. Uh, Orange County. Please go check out their website at goddesstempleoc.com. Dot org, And um, on that note, uh, talking about uh, Roy and I uh, celebrating our anniversary, we thought it was so cool that we have been invited to give workshops on what's called the Love Cruise and Seminar at Sea, which is visiting the Mexican Riviera uh, during the week of Valentine's Day next year. Um, So if you're still looking for love, if you're trying to find out, you know, maybe what you could do better, um, if whether it's uh, finding love for yourself or, 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 um, you know, your significant other, that might be something different to do. Um, meet new people and enjoy a wonderful cruise and, uh, and workshops too. And there's a special early bird discount. Uh, if you sign up, I think uh, sometime in the next few weeks, um, it's only nine ninety nine for the whole week. And if you're here on the west coast of California, you don't have to worry about airfare uh, to meet the cruise ship. And I've been given a special additional discount that you can take off that nine ninety nine. But to get it, you have to contact me first, and I tell you what to do before you register for the cruise. So if you think you'd like to go or you want more information, uh, get in touch with me. Uh, just email me at karentate108 at ca.rr.com. And um, you can also peruse my Karen Tate Facebook page. There's an event I've created for it there. You know, I've never really talked about our relationship workshops or the counseling that we do. I guess maybe the universe is telling us maybe I ought to be. <laughs> Um, The workshops that were given on the cruise are Finding Love and Keeping It for the Rest of Your Life and Awakening to the Lover Within. 
And I'm also, uh, I hope they'll give me another slot to do one called Breaking Free and Finding Your Authentic Self because I think that's so important. So um, I guess after being married for 30 years and happily at that, um, we are very happy to share what's worked for us. And uh, by the way, that cut opening tonight's show was Breath of Passion by Zingaya. I just love their music. They're a group out of Las Vegas. And, uh, you know, I have to tell you, after the elections Tuesday, I need all the comfort food I can get. And uh, Zingaya's music is often comfort food for me. We were worried it was going to be bad, but it was worse than bad. I don't know whether you realize, but people actually voted for progressive issues, but then turned around and put conservatives who were against those very same progressive issues in office. So, you know, we really wonder if there's going to be much chance of seeing uh, happen what people voted for. There's such a disconnect out there. And I want to thank Tim for writing me, saying he huddled up with my book, Goddess Calling, and it was like a comforting blanket for him after his hopes were dashed uh, in the election. And that was the first time I've actually had a reader write me and say Goddess Calling was their comfort food (laughs) when the world (laughs) felt overwhelming. And, well, I guess I hope the inspirational messages would be, but I guess I'm glad they actually are, and I'm hearing that from real people out there. Seems um, like some of the favorite inspirational messages uh, you tell me are the Star Trek one, which is uh, called Resistance is Not Futile, Uh, Dreaming and Inspiration, Separating Truth from Myth, Our Real Wealth. So if you have a favorite, if you already have the book, uh, email me, uh, tell me what it is. And uh, I hope, my dear listeners, you will help me by picking up Goddess Calling for the Holidays and um, maybe put it in your loved one's solstice stocking, make it their stocking stuffer, or read it for yourself when you need a heaping dose of comfort food. Well, tonight, um, being the first show of the month, our resident astrologer, Kathy Pagano, is back with me, giving us the scoop on the cosmic story. What do the stars, moon, and celestial energies have in store for us in the coming weeks? And then I'll be chatting with Mercedes Perkle about her book titled Sublime Union, A Woman's Sexual Odyssey Guided by Mary Magdalene. Well, Mercedes is an award-winning author and a channel for Mary Magdalene, and maybe you're like me, you want to hear what Mary has to say about things like sacred sexuality. You know, for some, the whole channeling thing might be a bit hard to swallow, but I always say keep an open mind. Kernels of wisdom come from the most unusual of places sometimes. I myself have had many experiences that I don't think can be explained by science, but I'm open to the mysteries of life, these opportunities to tap into divine wisdom. You know, the kinds of things the patriarchy would rather we do not do to empower ourselves. They want us to rely on them so they can control us. But uh uh-uh, nope, that's not what we do here. So anyway, let me say welcome to Kathy. Kathy, welcome back to the show. Thank you. It's good to be here as always. Well, and I'm so glad you've got the cosmic story for us, and I think you also wanted to chat a bit about um, our series we had last month with uh, with mythology, too. So why don't you just, um, you know, take it wherever you want to take it. Okay. Well, why don't we start with... Um, 
the disconnect with people um, during the election a little bit. Um, I know that I was a little optimistic last month, um, saying I couldn't see how they possibly could win. But first of all, I, I know that we, a lot of us, like, love to Kathy, 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 can you put your speak a little bit closer to the phone because it sounds like you're moving and you're a little bit far away from the phone. One second. Okay. No problem. We're not going any place. Is this good? Yes, that that's good. That that's better. Thank you. Okay. My earphones weren't working. Um you know, one of the things we were talking about and then also the whole idea of spirituality, um, the disconnect, um, astrologically we can look at that as um the planet Neptune is in Pisces, its own sign. And while Pisces and Neptune are talk about the collective heart and the collective unconscious, um, if you're unconscious it's it's very much about um letting the media um delude you and letting the media, um, especially in combination with some of the other planets that are going on, um, it's, it's the mass mind is very suggestible right now and mm. open to manipulation. And it's sort of like a low-level anxiety that's going on with people, the kind where it's nothing specific. It's just everything is, it makes you anxious. Yeah. If you will. Yeah. You know? Well, I'm glad to know there was a that the, you know there was an astrological reason for it. <laughs> well, you know what? I don't know if that's the reason, but the other side of it is the the conspiracy theory part is they want so overwhelmingly that someone if they're putting millions of dollars into winning an election, I could see them um putting lots of money into um voter fraud on their computers. So, who knows? <laughs> but <laughs> Look, I know, you know, because do you remember back, I think it was when Obama ran for president the first time around, there was a lot of stuff in the news. I mean, by people like Rachel Maddow, who were talking about the fact that the machines were, you know, were owned by conservatives, some Republican, I forgot his name. The Diebold machines, yeah, they're owned by a Republican company. Yeah, I mean, I, I look, so much has happened with voter suppression and Citizens United. Um, nothing would surprise me, really nothing. Right. Well, you see, part of we've been of the um, the planetary configuration I've been talking about that started in the 60s, you know, I've been talking about the positives because I think people need something positive to look for, but the negative is the powers that be don't want to give up their um their their um power um and they will suppress individual rights and so i mean people who were so bad got reelected so you yeah. have to begin to wonder but also americans it's kind of disappointing at least to me that um the poor turnout that we have i know people are disappointed in politics but if we have to what about if we had to vote? <laughs> if you had to vote or you got taxed, it you know, should I don't be compulsory. Know, it, should it should be compulsory. Be compulsory. Yeah, this yeah. Is, our country is an example to the world, supposedly, of freedom, and yet our people don't even go. And, and I understand the disappointment, but still in all, it's about expressing your own power, and we aren't as a culture right now. 
I think people are very disillusioned, but that isn't helpful either. <laughs> well, and, you know, I even saw on the Internet um, that we didn't hear about this. If it wasn't for the Internet, we wouldn't even know. There was a massive feminist march um, by thousands of people in the streets in Spain. And the only reason we saw it is because there was newspaper articles about it in Europe and some of them filtered over to us. We didn't even know about that. You know, we I could know. have done something in solidarity, you know, here in here in the United States, but you know, it, uh, it the media, you know, they're yes. controlled by the corporations, you know. Right. They don't want us to be inspired at all except to be consumers and, you know, good little sheeple being exploited, you know, barely making enough money to get by uh, to eat, you know. Right. And I guess that's what the next, this is what the next few years will still be about, just because we... I mean, I think what's going to happen is they're going to be so bad that, you know, the the culture, astrologically, the signature is it's time for the culture we have to die, and it will. It's just, the you know, the last, the sunset effect, the power struggles that come from it, and... um, and we just have to keep working harder on ourselves to become different people, and that will change yeah. things too. Yeah, yeah, I, I but think yeah, so. With, you know, with this, because um, Neptune is the um, the energy of like spiritual perception and uh, and artistry and visioning, but it can also be illusions, and um, it's been going retrograde, which means it looks like it's going backwards from our point of view here on Earth. Um, since June, but it's going to turn direct in a few days. And um, it really speaks to our collective emotional, you know, weather, if you will. And because it's, um, it gives rise to, like I said, that free-floating fear, there's nothing that we can really pin down. It's easy to be manipulated about terrorists or Ebola. Neptune in Pisces often speaks of these illnesses and these viruses and these plague kind of diseases where people go into fear. And so, you know, there's that. And then, of course, it's also interacting with that Uranus-Pluto square that I've talked about, which is the change energy. And so um, that generalized anxiety, you know, leads to hysteria over terrorists, their illnesses. Right. And then then it makes it easier to be manipulated. Yeah. Yeah, 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 I agree because you know the, the peop, you know the Republicans erroneously have people thinking that they're safer in their hands when really you know they're the ones that got us into the war with Iraq with a country that didn't even bomb the twin towers and they're the ones that are always cutting the social safety net so you know people like my girlfriend who said oh my unemployment's running out let me blame Obama I said no honey not Obama. You know, stop listening to Fox News, you know. <laughs> right. No, it's unbelievable how disconnected people are. And I think one of the best things that could happen to all of us would be for the solar flares, which have been very big, to knock out our communication so people actually talk to each other. <laughs> when I was in L.A., I went by a little girl and her father, and I talked to her, and I went, you're the only person in this store that isn't on a phone. I love talking to you, sweetie. <laughs> she laughed. <laughs> Don't you love that? I mean, I've actually been invited out to dinner by people, and I will be in the middle of a conversation, really in the middle of a conversation, literally, and they'll pick up their phone and start looking at it, you know? Yeah. That makes me crazy, too. (laughs) Well, it's such a disconnect. If you look at 
mastered mass psychology, you have to begin to wonder um, the deviousness behind it. I know that it's fun because it's like having a, a, a library in your pocket, but um, but the social courtesies and necessity of interconnection, which is so big right now during this time of year, when we come to Libra, you know, back in, from the end of September to the middle of October and we bring in the harvest, we begin to participate in the collective part of the zodiac. From Aries to Virgo, it's very interesting because the energy is more towards me, me, me. Who am I? What do I possess? How do I think? Who's my family? You know, what do I create? What's my work? But when we come up, when the sun goes below the um, equator and and it gets dark in the north, we become more socialized and and the energy pulls us, is trying to pull us together um, in terms of our ideals in Libra and in terms of our emotions in Scorpio. And now in another week or two as we enter Sagittarius, our collective ideals. And so um, to throw human beings off so much that they can be in a store and everybody's looking at their phone and nobody's looking at each other, you begin to wonder um, how we'll ever recover from that unless we have people like you and me go up and talk to people when we're on the phone. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know, I'm still one of these people that won't do my banking online. You know, I I want to speak to human beings, you know. I don't want yes. everything to be um, automated. Um, it's crazy. And, and you know what? I won't even go into Ralph's after a certain time at night because I refuse to use those machines because, you know, not only – I mean, I feel like I'm helping putting somebody out of a job, you know. It's true. You know, and and I I just refuse to do it. I will go to another store rather than give in and use their machines. (laughs) No, but that's good, Karen. And I think if we women especially, the goddess is all about connection. Patriarchy and the, the God that has developed out of patriarchy, because of course we know we love men and there are great men out there and there are great gods out there. You know, the energy of the different gods is just as beautiful in its own way as the divine feminine's powers. But the 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 end game of patriarchy has made it um like that Sartre book, No Exit. Everybody's in their own little room talking to themselves. Mm-hmm. And they can't get out. And you know, and I wonder if that doesn't contribute to why it's so hard to get people out in the street to protest. I think so, yes. And, and, you know, and I don't know whether protesting in the street does much more than make us feel united and make us feel like we're not alone, but, you know, maybe that's the whole point. You know, when we – there's something about when, when you're out in the street doing those protests, you know, screaming those chants, holding those those banners and signs, you know, you feel like nothing can defeat you. It's a whole lot different than when you're sitting at home on Facebook, you know, signing this petition or that petition. You know, yes. you feel empowered when you're out in the street. Well, because we have community. You know, you're in a community. They might not be your neighbors, your literal neighbors, but they have, they're have they sharing a, uh, a perception of the world. Um, and so you're in your community. And, and that's part of what um, perhaps one of the things that the goddess community can do more is to create community wherever we are. And um, and even you know reach out to other people who aren't quite in our community, but 
just the, the ability to, um, we need to change the way we act, I think that's it. And it's very interesting because right now, um, on Monday, the, well, the planet Mars is how we act. It's our actions, if you will. It, it, of course, it represents men. And I'm always going on about when is the new king going to be born? We need a king here, too. Um, the queen is here, and she's looking for her mate. <laughs> but um, Mars is under is part of, it has once again come back to being part of this um, heavenly configuration that is creating, or that is echoing, let's say echoing or mirroring the changes that need to go on here. And in April, it was part of the configuration and because it was in Libra, the sign of balance and partnership and fairness. But now it's moved into Capricorn. So on Monday, it came together with Pluto, which is very intense energy. And, um, and um, you know, it's almost like this urgency. Something's got to give. We've got to change things. And maybe losing the election the way we did, the progressives, meaning us, you know, losing the election in such a bad way, maybe it will inspire us to even get more on track. Um, well, all right, all right. I, one of my hopes is that the Republicans will get so cocky and overreach that people are so sick of them by the next set of elections that, you know, maybe a lot of them will actually lose a lot of ground. Yes. Well, they're gonna. They're already gonna fight among themselves. The Tea Party people are already going to fight the regular, middle of the road Republicans. So it really, you know, once again, I think people have to see how bad things will get before they want to get better. Conscious people, we don't wait till the last minute to make things better. We see what's coming down the road and we say, well, we better change now. But yeah. most people don't see that, and that's that's the sad part. Right. And so, right. you know, I don't know how the energy was Monday, but there's, I don't, on the way to my dream class tonight, there's accidents all over the place in mm. town. And it's, and you don't, that isn't something that happens all the time here because we really don't have traffic like in LA. But as I was saying, this week Mars is, is connecting with that planet of death and evolution and power and, and then today it um connected with the um with Uranus, the planet of sudden surprises and accidents. And so what's your what's your advice to sort of maneuver in this energy in the next week or so? Well, we have to have discipline and purpose. We have to keep centered on our purpose. That doesn't mean we can't go and have any fun. But but it's about disciplining this energy. Mars energy is like life energy. It's 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 erotic, it's psychic energy, it's the energy of going out into life. And um, and it can be scattered and angry and aggressive and selfish, or it can be focused and disciplined on what the purpose is um, that we're pursuing so that we can overcome obstacles and, and develop the skills we need to change our lives, you know? Okay. You know, we can go into power struggles or we can stand back and we can choose our battles. Right. And especially with people who have to work in a corporation or with other people, that's especially important, how we act right now. It's like Martin Luther King saying, you know, and Gandhi saying we have to act out of peace and not, you know, when when we protest it's because we want peace, not war. Well, in the same way, when we fall into those situations with our coworkers, 
if we can act out of peace, that can inspire other people. And and maybe that's what it's come down to for the next couple of years, each of us creating that little bit of peace in, in our lives with other people. Yeah, rather rather than contributing to the polarization, rather than uh, the, rather than it being about retribution, you know, um, you know, maybe right. it, it, you know, go go in with the attitude of, of of being the peacemaker, being taking the high road. Yes. Well, we each have to birth the new king within ourselves, and um, although I'd love to see some men acting it out, you know, the women I find are always ahead of the game. And yeah. um, and the combination of the masculine and the feminine within us, we, you know, for women we have to start to act on our feelings and not not how we should act or or how other people expect us to act. Yeah. And so, especially for women, um, it's about oh, this is important. I'm going to do this. Yeah. Yeah. And it Absolutely. goes against it, you know. I had a dream years ago when I was raising my four children by myself and I had stayed home and worked part-time because they were little and I thought they'll all need therapy if I go to work full-time. And um, I had a dream in which I wanted to hurry things along and um, the dream told me, no, it's not time yet. And that took a lot of courage. I realize now looking back, I was just dumb, and I, I believed in my dreams more back then because I had just been at the Young Institute. But, but you know, it took courage not to go the regular route. And yeah. I think that's one of the things all of us women are, you know, are preparing. We're not going to do what's expected. We're going to do what's right. Yeah, yeah. Well, and, you know, all my life I've been in trouble because I didn't conform, and uh, especially now. Now, uh, more than ever, it's not the time to conform. <laughs> no, not at all. Not at all. We each are so unique and, and yet connected, and yeah. we make a beautiful mosaic. You know, we sparkle if we actually act on our own. It's really good. So I guess I would say to everyone um, for who's listening and who will listen, um, watch your energy, watch your assertive energy, watch your anger. See where it wants to go, but don't let it go there. You know, pull it back, discipline it, find out what it is that it's really saying to you, and act in a different way. Sounds like a good, uh, good, good advice, Kathy. Thank you. And I, I know yeah. we're running short on time here. What was it you wanted right. to say about the mythology series last month? Well, I loved it, and we do need more stories about the feminine. And I know that a lot of um, feminists don't like Carl Jung's theories, but I do want to say that a lot of the fairy tales are collective stories about what's happening on a large scale. And so when you get a story like Sleeping Beauty um, um, and her falling asleep, part of it is because some new feminine feeling life could not come into the collective culture. It wasn't ready yet because of patriarchy on one level, um, rejecting the divine feminine, the dark feminine, um, the 13th fairy like we were talking about in Maleficent. Um, And so a lot of the fairy tales aren't as... um, Walt Disney's land as we grew up with, um, Snow White, um, you know, with the trilling, little trilling girls singing to the birds, things like that. Um, it's really, these are these are stories about psychological um, actions, you know, jealousy, what happens when a mother is jealous of her own daughter. 
um, and she doesn't, and she's no longer the loving mother, but the wicked stepmother. Um, and so, um, yes, we've had a lot of fairy tales that, you know, certainly um, make women seem passive is the word. But the feminine on that higher level is receptive. Like in the Tao, the yin and the yang, the yin is receptive energy. So some of the fairy tales that we have are about men's journey and the masculine journey, but there's lots of fairy tales about feisty, feisty girls um, and women who who do things differently than the hero's journey. Um, a lot of times the feminine is about endurance and patience, and we don't like that. But that's yeah. patriarchy telling us it's no, that those aren't good qualities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, and and look, going back to your story about when you were raising your kids, that's what you were struggling with, patience, you know. Um, Yes. Well, and, you know, and I heard uh, heard recently, and I didn't know this, this was new information for me, that some of these old stories actually were a lot darker than we know them to be today. Like, for instance, Cinderella, her nasty stepsisters actually cut their toes off to try to put their feet in the slippers. But oh, we yes. have sort of sanitized the myths. And yes. I found that really interesting, and, and it makes me want to go find the original stories just to see how dark and gruesome the fairy tales actually were. <laughs> well, they were much more like in Little Red Riding Hood. Um, you know, they kill, the the, um, the huntsman has to cut them open and cut the wolf open because they, he, they've eaten the um the grandmother and, and Little Red Riding Hood, it's the huntsman who saves them, um, who comes at the end because the wolf ate them already. And uh, there's a lot. And then when you get to fairy tales like by Hans Christian Andersen, he that he was the beginning like a novelist. He was in he wrote just two or three hundred years ago. So they're not the ancient fairy tales that co- that have come down to us. Like Beauty and the Beast is very much taken from myth of Psyche and Eros about the invisible god who, you know, who who the girl has to be tested to get his love. So there, there's very ancient roots in them and um, for feminists and for regular people. I just right, wanted to right. bring that up because you don't, we don't have to rewrite the myths. I think we have to understand them. And because we don't understand symbolic language, we miss out on a lot and we take things at face value. Well, you know, if you would like to come on and do a show with me about that, you know, take some of the myths with the, you know, with the darker, edgier stuff and talk about what they were, you know, the ideas that they were really supposed to be getting across. I would love it if you if you think that would be fun and not too much work for you. No, that would be wonderful. We'll do that sometime, definitely. Okay. All right. Sounds definitely. good. Um, well, okay. do you have to run or... I, yes, do you no, have your dream unless class? Unless we're done, I have my dream group, and um, they are waiting for me, although I told them to begin without me. They need to learn how to do it on their own. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, please I'm go in and see if they're doing it. <laughs> well, listen, but before, before you run, please make sure you tell listeners how to reach you for your readings, for your book, and everything else. Okay. You can find me at www.wisdom-of-astrology.com. And you can find all of the things I do right from that page. Okay. Well, Kathy, thank you so much. And we will look forward to seeing you the first Wednesday in December. Okay. Take care. All right. Have a great Thanksgiving. Bye-bye.
You too. Bye. Well, we are about ready to take just a quick music break here. Um, I see that uh, Mercedes is uh, actually there on the switchboard, and I'm going to get to her in just a second. So I want to ask her to give me uh, just about a minute here. And uh, what you're listening to is uh, Nomad's Land from the group uh, that opened the show, Zingaya. From my new book, Goddess Calling, Inspirational Messages and Meditations of Sacred Feminine Liberation Theology. And it goes like this. Do you hear our sacred roar? We're coming armed with ideals of the sacred feminine. We are carrying with us the archetypes of not just Mary and Kuan Yin, but Kali, the Morrigan, Libertas, and Sekhmet. We're tired of waiting for you to evolve and do the right thing. No more will we tolerate a world of injustice and inequality. No more will we allow the destruction of Mother Earth. No more will we sit quietly and obediently as our dignity is stripped from us and our future stolen. No more will our sexuality and reproductive rights be in the hands of religious zealots and their handmaidens. We want partnership. We want accountability. We want dignity and freedom. We want reverence for the earth and all of humanity. We want a world of compassion and empathy where we recognize our interconnection and practice caring and sharing for the 99%. There is enough for all of us if it's equitably distributed. That's from Goddess Calling. Well, listeners, if you'd like to support my work in this show, you can do it um, by doing one of several things. You can go to my website, karentate.com, and when you're there, uh, you can make a donation of any amount using the button down at the bottom of the Goddess Store page. You know, airtime isn't free here, so I really appreciate it when you help me keep the show on the air. Or uh, while you're there on the, the Goddess Store page, please order one of my books. Uh, it's best, uh, I'm, I'm always happy when you buy my books, but it's best if you uh, either get it from me if you're in the United States or you order it from a local bookstore because you know they are struggling to stay in business, especially if it's in an independent or a feminist bookstore. Please give them your business and only use Amazon if you have to because Amazon funds conservative causes that aren't in the best interest of the 99% and uh, I suspect... Um, 
you are in the 99% like I know I am. Amazon takes a huge chunk of the profits, as I understand it, really leaving the crumbs for the author and the publisher to split. Aren't monopolies and predator capitalism grand? Well, think the deck is stacked? Think the deck is stacked? Well, it is, but we don't have to play the game. We do have other options. So, um, I want to uh, welcome uh, my next guest to the show, Mercedes Kirkle. Hi, Mercedes. Hello, Karen. Thank you so much for being with me tonight. And I thought I would uh, start off by um, by reading your bio to listeners so they get uh, a little sense of uh, who you are and what you're doing out there in the world. Um, so Mercedes, uh, Mercedes Kirkle is an award-winning author and channel for Mary Magdalene. In the summer of 2010, Mary Magdalene began coming to Mercedes daily, giving extraordinary messages for humanity's evolution and spiritual growth. Oh, my God, don't we need it? What were we just talking about? Um, that was the beginning of Mercedes becoming a channel for Mary and making Mary's messages available through her books. Her most recent book is titled, Sublime Union, A Woman's Sexual Odyssey Guided by Mary Magdalene. Mercedes continues to share her channeled messages through her weekly newsletter and through private sessions in person and long distance, and all messages are universal and not really affiliated with any particular religion. Um, she also does inspired life and relationship coaching, uh, guidance from Mary Magdalene and other beings of light and light-filled intimacy instruction. And you can learn more about her at her website, which is her name, Mercedes Kirkle, M-E-R-C-E-D-E-S-K-I-R-K-E-L.com. And she's also on Facebook under her name, Mercedes Kirkle and Mary Magdalene Beckins. And uh, you can find her books at her website. And I just want to say, Mercedes, thank you for being uh, here on the show with me tonight. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm happy to be here. So let me ask you, um, was your first um, connection, association, uh, relationship with Mary Magdalene, did it, was, was it in 2010? I mean, did you just... Was there anything that led up to your interest in Mary Magdalene, I guess, or was this like out of the blue? I guess that's what I'm trying to say. Mm-hmm. Well, there's a few different ways I could answer that. <laughs> um, but I'll I'll go for what seems like the simplest. I was, my connection with her in this lifetime really started when a friend gave me a book that was about Mary Magdalene. I was teaching a sacred sexuality workshop in Hawaii, and my friend said, are you familiar with this book, The Magdalene Manuscript? And I said, no, I'm not. And she said, well, if you're teaching sacred sexuality, I'm sure you'd like to read this book. I said, okay. So she lent me the book. And it was a channeled book by Tom Kenyon. Um, and in brief, the story, it was Mary Magdalene that he was channeling, and her um, communication in that book was that she was a priestess of Isis in ancient Egypt. She was also a partner to Yeshua, Jesus, and that they were practicing sacred sexuality together as part of their spiritual transformation for themselves and their blessing for the world. 
and that um, the main part of what she was communicating was the, the practice that they were doing together of sacred sexuality in very simple form. And so I read this book, and as I was reading it, all the practices she was describing were instantly becoming activated in me as I was reading them. Wow. Which was quite a surprise to me. And by the end of the book, I realized that I was remembering that this was cellular memory waking up in me that I had done this. I had known all these practices because I had been a part of what she was describing. So can you and describe can you describe one or two of these practices for listeners? I mean, I, I know they're just dying to hear. <laughs> well, this was just really one practice that was a very complex practice, and so she was describing different parts of the practice. But it was a practice that in some ways is very similar to a kundalini practice, if you're familiar with that, yoga, a type of yoga, that raises the kundalini energy that um, in the yogic tradition, they say, you know, lies dormant at the base of the spine. And in the Tantra tradition, it's understood that that's the same. Kundalini and sexual energy are the same. And um, that kundalini yoga is about raising this this energy and using it for spiritual awakening. And Tantra ultimately is the same thing, but uses different techniques to do that. And so she's describing the the practice and the circuits of ra- raising this kundalini yoga in the spine and moving it up into the head and all, and all the practices that you engage as a part of that. So you know you're talking about breath work and visualization and that sort of thing, energy work. Yes, yes, that's a part of it, definitely. And you know I'm imagining. Um, folks who are a little bit more um, close to these sorts of ideas. I mean, you know, their heads were exploding when that uh, story hit the news today about Mrs. Jesus. Did you see that? (laughs) Yeah, I've seen it the last couple of days, actually. So can you imagine, you know, you try to tell people like that, oh, well, Jesus and Mary Magdalene were practicing tantric sex. I mean, their heads will just explode. (laughs) Well, that's why that story hit the news with such a splash is because it's not about the tantric sex. It's about sex at all. That is so difficult for people to consider that Jesus might have been sexual. And mm-hmm. and everything else is very secondary to that. I think that's the very core issue. And it has everything to do with our relationship with the feminine. That's what Mary Magdalene is talking about, is that um, not embracing the sexual is part of not embracing the feminine. Right. right. And that that's our that's our we're enculturated with that um well that and i notion. think even for even for men and women who know about this stuff you know we're still kind of carrying that uh judeo christian um sexual shame baggage don't you think absolutely and it comes up when you hear stories like this or ideas like this and you think you know many people get upset and that's the button being pushed, absolutely. Yeah, because, you know, um, patriarchy allows us to have Mary, Jesus' mother, the benign, asexual god goddess, 
you know, and if, I mean, and they won't even call her a goddess, but I mean, we do. But, you know, anytime sex enters the equation and then, oh, it's suddenly taboo and risque. And I mean, I can remember when women who were pregnant uh, shouldn't be seen in public, you know, um, and um, I, I'm trying to think when uh, Ashton Kutcher's wife, I'm trying to remember her name now. It's escaping me. Um, oh, she was uh, married to Bruce Willis. I don't know. Oh, but anyway, she was on the on the cover of either Newsweek or Time, pregnant and bare-bellied. And I, I just remember the uproar. You know, because you know, pregnant belly meant she had to have sex, <laughs> and it was, it was it was so crazy. You know that. Uh, well, you know, and the, it, it the, meant she had a belly too. That <laughs> 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 she wasn't just this perfect, you know, image of a feminine that doesn't do anything like get a belly. <laughs> right. Right, right, right. Yeah, because you know, patriarchy seems to like women when they really look more like little boys. You know, or um, you know, or, or, or they, little girls. Um, or, or or little girls, or um, you know, somebody said recently, uh, you know, or, or you know, how women have to get Brazilian, uh, you know, um, cuts now because you know they don't even you know want women to have pubic hair, you know, they they just want women to look like um, you know these you know like children. You know, it's it's uh, mm-hmm. it's really pretty sad when you think about how distorted our uh, our ideas are about the body. Yeah, I agree. And so Mary I'm sorry, agrees I probably, wholeheartedly. <laughs> so I, I don't know if this is uh, leading us uh, astray or not, but um, I I did want to talk about the the channeling um, the channeling issue. Had you channeled um, any any um, energies or pers- personas before Mary Magdalene, or was this, um, you know, was this all new? Well, I didn't consider that I channeled. I got messages from spirit. It was very occasional, and it was always personal to me, um, you know, telling me what to do in my life. Um but I didn't consider that channeling because to me channeling was about, um, first of all, being able to contact those beings, you know, when I wanted to rather than just having them contact me. That was one of my things that I wanted to do. I called it conscious channeling where I could choose. And um, the other thing was that what I was really, what I really... um, I wanted something bigger, I guess, beyond just, you know, guidance for myself. I wanted to be able to, you know, bring messages for other people or, yeah, I guess that's what it was, was bring messages for other people as well as myself. And this was something I was I was desiring, um, not, but not at this time, not when, she, not when I first got the book. That was out of the blue for me. And what happened when I finished that book... I got kind of scared because I had enough um, awareness of spiritual traditions and the, the Indian tradition that I had heard about Kundalini and I had heard that it was dangerous for to raise the Kundalini without being guided by uh, a teacher who really could guide you and knew what was happening. It was this powerful energy that um, might hurt you. And I, I didn't know what I was opening myself up to and I was definitely moving this energy very strongly in my body. So was that? Did you find that to be true? That that it is dangerous? 
No, I haven't found that to be th- true through this, and that's one of the differences I think about the way that it's awakened in tantra, uh, sacred sexuality versus the way it's it's work it's done in kundalini. It, it I have found it to be very safe. Yeah, because, I mean, I'd never heard that before, you know. Um, so when you said that, you know, my eyebrows went up because it was kind of like, well, gee, um, you know. Uh, so, yeah, I'm glad to hear you say uh, say the same. So so the first messages you got, um, Mercedes, I, I mean, and look, anything I ask you, if you don't feel comfortable answering, just say so. I mean, you know, we're we're friends here. We're, like, sitting across the kitchen table having coffee. Um but I'm wondering what sort of messages did she have for you or have for other people? I guess I'm I'm trying to get a sense of the the quality or detail of the message. The first message that she gave to me was in 2010. And um, at that time, um, I was living in Santa Fe, New Mexico. And I had been guided there by spirit. I had just arrived and gotten there. I'd been there about three days, and I was meditating one morning. And I could feel this presence around me, a very benign presence, very beautiful, wonderful, and definitely different than me. And I felt like I was blocking it. It seemed like it was stuck at my throat and uh, couldn't come through. And I really wanted it to come through. So I just put all my awareness on whatever I needed to do to release the block in me that could let this come through for that to happen. And suddenly a voice started speaking through me. And at the same time, I got the internal message that this was the voice of Mary Magdalene. And she delivered an entire spiritual discourse that was phenomenal. Just knocked me over. It was so brilliant and so packed with information. And at the same time, as I'm getting this amazing wisdom coming through, I'm feeling her presence. And it is so loving and so exquisite. And so I have both these things going on. And by the end of the message, I was just dissolved. It was like I was in a puddle. How long did it last? I have no idea. (laughs) It's the first message in the book. Um, So, you know, you can see it. It's about a three-page message or something like that. Okay, so you can't keep teasing us. You've got to give us some little tidbits. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I'll tell you exactly what it was. Um, It was really her thesis statement, and I didn't know it then, but it was the beginning of the book. She was was beginning her download of the book to me, of Mary Magdalene Beckins, and it was that... Um, oh, let's see. The first thing she addressed was me and my doubt, because as soon as it happened, I immediately had doubt come up that this was real. And mm-hmm. her first sentence was, I am here. Do not doubt my presence. Doubt is part of your mind. I am here to help free you from your doubting mind. And then she turned to what it seemed to me she really wanted to be talking about, And she said, I have waited 2,000 years to come forth, and now is the time when the divine feminine can be received and reinstated in her rightful place as the equal partner and lover of the divine masculine. And she went on to say exactly what she meant by that, and that there were three primary arenas that needed to 
be transformed in most human beings for the divine feminine to take her seat. And it's it's the divine feminine within each of us. It's we need to be transformed. And so those three arenas are within each of us. And she said it's our relationship to our body, our sexuality, and our emotions. Hmm. And it's, it's and primarily our painful emotions. And these three form the sound. It's our. It's all of our emotions, but we don't seem to have a problem with our joyful emotions, the painful ones that we have a problem with. And so she says these three arenas are the foundation for the divine feminine within each of us. And when they're strong and that foundation is there, then the divine feminine can take her seat in our heart. It's her throne. And once that happens, there's a whole chain of events that follows. She said our lower mind, what a lot of people refer to as the ego, relaxes and it takes its rightful um, relationship to us, which is to be in service to the heart. And once the lower mind relaxes, then the higher mind awakens, and that is the seat of the divine masculine. And at that point, an inner marriage happens between our inner divine feminine and masculine, our heart and our mind. And that marriage, that union is the gateway towards the new age, our next evolution of spiritual growth that's in front of us and that she is here to be a midwife and to help us and usher us into this new age. So as you're saying that, I'm I'm immediately thinking, and, and maybe I'm oversimplifying this, or maybe it is just as simple. You, you you tell me. Feel free to correct me. If that happened in every human being on the planet, everything would right itself. There wouldn't be any more war. There wouldn't be any more exploitation. There wouldn't be any more suffering because everyone would be right. They would be doing the right thing instead of all the shit that they do. I think that's fundamentally true, and I think it is simple. I think truth is simple, but I don't think it's easy. And no. I think we have a long ways to go to get there. True, but true. But I think it is that simple and she's getting at the root she's not looking at the symptoms she's looking at the real root within each one of us and it's not even what most you know spiritual people will talk about because lots of people talk about the heart and awakening the heart or whatever and she's saying no it's not even about that it's more foundational than that it's what supports the heart and it's our um, wrong adaptation that we've learned and, and been trained in relative to these three areas, our body, our sexuality, and our emotions. And if you think about it, those are the three areas in life that most people have problems with. One, two, or all three. <laughs> yeah, 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 I can I can see that. Well, and do you think, Mercedes, I mean, there's been like a, a resurgence well, I don't know if resurgence is the word, but it feels like there's been a wave of of women and maybe men too, but I haven't missed, I can't recall if I've talked to men. There's been a wave of women that uh, I'd say in the last at least five years that are all talking about 
um, Mary Magdalene coming to them or somehow Mary Magdalene, Mary Magdalene manifesting in their life, um, that, that can't be a coincidence. Oh, I don't think it's a coincidence at all. I think she is working with a huge number of people. And I had no idea when I first she started coming to me because I didn't know. I wasn't following Mary Magdalene. I wasn't into this whole thing. And so I didn't know about this whole world. So I thought I was the only one. <laughs> <laughs> Little did I know. <laughs> and not only did I find out that there's all sorts of people, you know, who are writing books and, you know, being public about it. But when I started talking to just everyday people about what I was happening, I couldn't believe one person after the next would say, well, I have a relationship with Mary Magdalene. Well, I feel her in this way. Well, I think, you know, I have a past connection with her. And it was just phenomenal to me. And and what was most amazing was I would say the words Mary Magdalene, and it was like I would watch the doors of people's hearts fly open. And suddenly they would shift and they would get ecstatic and they would start talking about her. And a lot of these people don't usually talk about her. It's a very internal secret thing, private. Right, right. Well, and, and it's just beautiful. And and I have a theory that, um, how, how let's see, how, I want to make sure I phrase this right, that in a way... Um, because so many people are Christian um, or, or or Jew or um, you know the, the Abrahamic religions, you know they're f- more familiar with the Marys. So if the sacred feminine is going to be born on the earth, it it makes sense that maybe these people learn about the sacred feminine through a persona that they or more familiar with than, say, I don't know, uh, Kali or Isis or um, Amaterasu, you know, because well, it's something that they're Mary familiar Magdalene with. Well, what Mary Magdalene has told me is that she and Yeshua, which is the Aramaic name for Jesus, and that's how she always refers to him to me, that she and Yeshua, that they were equal partners, that they were in a sacred relationship together. She described them as holy husband and holy wife. And they were definitely practicing sacred sexuality, which she's given a lot of instruction to me about. But that they were also both teachers. They were equal as teachers. And they both knew that it would be 2,000 years before the world was ready to receive her in her role as equal partner and teacher. Yeah. and an equal ascended being. And to me, this is her time. This is it. Yeah. And it's going to be as big as what what Yeshua has been in the world. It's huge. And she's coming in this completely different form. She doesn't need to manifest physically. It's amazing. And it partly is because of where we're at, the change we've gone through. So what can you tell us about their life together? I mean, did she fill you in? I mean, because, you know, there's that whole story of, of you know, Mary Magdalene, you know, leave, you know, go into France and, you know, that whole thing. And, you know, they had a child. And um, what, you know, what, what have, has she told you besides about the sacred sexuality? Well, she's told me a lot about the sacred sexuality, but 
Mary's relationship with me is um, different from her relationship with a lot of people, and I think this is part of the way she works. She's very specific to each person and, and what their role is, what they're going to bring forth. And with me, her work is very much about us, present time, present day, and what we need to do to grow. And she's been really very clear with me that she doesn't want to talk about her past and what happened and that just as when they were alive, that wasn't what they focused on. They weren't talking about themselves. They were talking about the people in front of them and how they could connect with God. And it's not any different today. That's what her focus is. And, in fact, I definitely got the the. The message from her that she didn't want to distract from that by focusing on their story and what happened in the past, and and that that's that's the way she's working with me. And I know she works with other people in very different ways, but that's how it's been okay. with me. All but right, she fine. has told things. Well, she has told things about her past in very measured doses, when when she feels like it's going to support that when there's mm-hmm. some way that bringing forth some part of her story will help us. And, um, of course, I'm as hungry for it as everybody else, and it's very, very wonderful. But she has revealed that they were, you know, that, like I said, they were in a sacred relationship, that they were practicing sacred sexuality together, that they were, um, as she said, holy husband, holy wife. And another channeling that was different from the channeling series that went into the book, a later channeling, she told me um, in response to a question, someone asked about did they have children together. And she said yes, that they had three children. And um, and I that's most of what I know about you know her in terms of the history, the facts, all of that. I have my opinions, of course, as does everyone, but it's just me and my opinions. It's not what Mary has told me. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, it, it, so, I mean, is that something you want to share? Or is, or oh, is that something... Oh, I'm happy to share it. <laughs> For what it's worth, sure. <laughs> well... My belief is there. I've heard a few people who share par- different parts of my beliefs, but it's it's definitely not the mainstream. I believe that um, Jesus didn't die on the crucifix. That um, that he was close to death, and he was brought in the tomb. That tomb was prepared long beforehand by his uncle Joseph of Arimathea, and Joseph of Arimathea was, I believe, was part of the Essene community, as was, as were all the, the main players. They were all part, well, the inner circle around him. Not necessarily all the disciples, but um, that were all part of the Essene community. And the Essene community were so advanced in so many ways, including in healing, and that they had all been prepared for this. You know, their whole lifetime they'd been prepared for this. And the healers came in and healed him um, while he was in the tomb, and that the tomb had an escape door in the back. And that was how he left. <laughs> yeah, this and, isn't the first time I've heard that, actually. I think, uh, well, not I didn't hear about the trap door, but this idea that he didn't really die on the cross, and, yeah. you know, they he actually managed to escape death. I think it was in Lynn Pickett's book, 
the Templar revelations because she also yeah. said that they were practicing, um, you know, Isis, Osiris mysteries, um, and that that whole idea of Lazarus uh, being raised from the dead was uh, the Osirian mysteries, actually. You know. Um, yes. Yeah. So they I, were I mean, fulfilling I, I, a lot of they were fulfilling a lot of expectations and prophecies. And that was part of what they were there to do was to do right. that. And and then they they were they had other work and other things to do after that. Right. And, um, right. I believe they did go on to France. Um, I think they traveled. That they were all. They also went to um, England to Glastonbury, and um, even very likely as far north as Scotland. Um, <laughs> But I, I do think that they were in France, and I think Mary was the more public one in France because, you know, they had to be careful. So did this whole idea of the Holy Grail being the womb, the bloodline of, of Jesus, um, that whole Da Vinci Code thing, um, it, it, your thoughts about that? Well, the sexual practice has to do with raising the kundalini into the center of the brain where the pineal chakra is and visualizing a chalice and and into this and then when the practice is complete the ch- into the chalice comes the drops of of immortality like the amrita in the, uh, the Indian tradition mm. and um, to me this is about transformation into the fourth dimension where we're all going that's our next new age so the holy grail to me is not about a cup that jesus drank out of and it's not about mary magdalene's children you know their children together the holy grail is about our transformation each and every one of us okay very cool um so i i i I wondered if you wanted to give um you know beyond what you've said you know any examples of her instruction to you or um, did you want to, you know, move on to some of the other stuff you, you know, we you plan to talk about? Oh, I'm happy to give examples. Um, well, first of all, in the first book, it was very much about this uniting the masculine and feminine first and foremost within, in these three arenas. And she said, of the three arenas, the most important is our relationship to emotions. If we did that alone, it would make the biggest difference for everyone and for our whole world if we could transform that. And she gave very specific steps about how to do that. She said the first step when you're having a painful emotion is to become aware that you're having a painful emotion. And the reason that's even necessary is because most of us have trained ourselves to immediately jump out when we feel we have a painful emotion, to mm-hmm. do something else to get out of it, to avoid it, and to avoid feeling it and experiencing it. And so, you know, we have all different ways that we do that, but in some fashion or another, most of us have that habit. And so this is counteracting that, to first just notice that you have a painful emotion and then to make a conscious decision to open yourself to the emotion and to allow it and to actually embrace it. And so this is very counter counter to what 
that process of trying to jump away and get out of it. It's yeah, you know, we tend to and, we tend to avoid exactly, and it's also extremely feminine. It's about you know surrender, opening, and a very feminine response, and to let yourself really feel it. Yeah, because the masculine is all about denying all of the emotion. <clears throat> well, the masculine is not necessarily about denying. It, if the mas the masculine can be about that, if it's the masculine um, separate from the feminine, but in its purity, the masculine is simply, in its most pure form in humans, it's awareness. And so, when we do that first step of being aware, we're in our masculine. When we do the okay. second step of choosing to embrace, we're in our masculine. That making a choice, that's our masculine. And the masculine is choosing to bring the feminine forward. Then when we open and embrace, then we're in our feminine. So this is actually a very balanced process of masculine and feminine. The parts, though, that are not so familiar to us are, are the more feminine parts for most of us. Okay. So then from there, we go back into a masculine part. We go back into using our awareness, bringing our awareness in. And the awareness is what is the source? What is underneath this painful emotion? And the understanding is that the painful emotion is not coming from whatever seemed like the stimulus in the outside world. Rather, it's coming from something inside of us. And that's the real gold is when we get there. And at this point, I'd like to give an example because it gets really abstract unless I, I you know, sure, kind of ground ahead. it in something real. So the example that I like to give because it's kind of practical and I think it's one that we, a lot of people can relate to is uh, when you're driving in traffic and someone cuts you off. And you might even amp it up if it's, you know, busy time, lots of traffic, you have somewhere to get and someone cuts you off. So for a lot of people, the response is, you know, <laughs> thoughts about the other person. You know, you might be the kind who lays on your horn or whatever. Or Give them the middle finger. <laughs> yeah, right, exactly. <laughs> Have certain thoughts go through your mind about what you might do. <laughs> or if you're giving a more spiritual response. Your response might be to bless the other person. Or your response might be to stay detached, not get involved, you know. Or um, think of uh, think of things you have to be grateful for in this moment or something like that. Yeah, and don't take it these, personally. You know, gee, they're right. having a bad day. <laughs> right, right. The detachment, yeah. right, exactly. And all of these are different from what Mary's suggesting. So her first step would be to notice what's going on with you, not the other person, not the traffic, not anything. What's going on with you? And that would be, I'm angry. And the second step would be to make the choice to open to that feeling. So instead of directing the anger outward towards whatever, you're going to open yourself to it and that very feminine opening and feel, let yourself feel and embrace the anger. Very different than what most of us do in those situations. 
And then the third step is to consider what is the source in me of the anger. And she says that the source is always going to be what she calls an inner divine quality. And these are um, qualities that all humans have, all humans share. They're kind of like our, um, in some ways like our genes, G-E-N-E-S, but they're qualities that make up our human divineness. And they're always something beautiful even though the way they get stimulated might be through something that wasn't so beautiful. So in this case, the anger is probably connected to the inner divine quality of safety. But in that moment, when you got cut off by the other person, your connection to safety got cut off. And it was hmm. actually your your inner connection to your sense of safety. And what she's saying is that we're always our in our wholeness. We're always connected to all these different inner divine qualities. So in our wholeness, we're connected to an ongoing sense of safety. That's ultimately safety in God. That that's our ultimate safety is our inheritance in God, our connection to God. And that it that and then that is kind of played out in the world, that sense of safety, but its real roots are in us and in our connection to God. But then something when something happens that disturbs us, we lose that inner connection. And it's the loss of our inner connection that's actually what we're suffering. It's not the outer event. Hmm. And so the healing, yeah, so the healing is is making this inner connection again, reconnecting with it. Hmm. Now, in this example with the driving, and as is often the case, there's more than one that's involved. There might be another one um, that was... Once you get the first one and kind of that clears out, you might notice another one kind of coming to the surface. And there might be a second one that's kind of um, maybe disturbance or sadness about not having your inner divine quality for um, cooperation being met. And so you lost your connection to cooperation also. So those two might might have been, in this example, the two that were involved, safety and cooperation. And the wonderful thing about this process is that as soon as we become conscious of what the source is, the inner divine quality, we're shining the light of our consciousness on that, and that alone is sufficient for us to reconnect inside once again to that inner divine quality and thus reconnect to our wholeness. Interesting. And and when that happens, the sign is that we come to peace. We come to a great peace. And then the final step of this process is to consider if there's any action that you need to take from there. Lots of times the only action that you really needed was to reconnect yourself to your wholeness. But sometimes there are things that you choose to do in the outer world once you're reconnected. But now you're going to do them from a whole different place and with a whole different feeling. And very likely you're going to make different choices than you would have before. 
So what if when something triggers you and um, you can't figure out what what did you call it, the divine something The inner divine qualities. The inner divine quality. Well, what if you can't yeah. figure out what it is? Yeah. Well, this is where we need some help. We need some support. We need some spiritual education. And this is what Mary is offering us. And it's it's not that hard once you get the hang of it, but it's a whole different process. It's a new muscle we're developing that most of us haven't developed. And if we had grown up in a, a perfect world, we would have learned this from our parents when we were knee-high to a grasshopper because they would be demonstrating it and modeling it up, and we would pick it up just like language. But mm-hmm. most of us never did. So now so we're now, learning it. And, and that's so now what the he's whole... teaching Mm-hmm. So is the whole is the whole book um, just about Mary's instruction? Very much so, yes. But it's from many different angles, many different perspectives, and she weaves in lots of different things. And she touches on sacred sexuality, and this is the first book. And she touches on our relationship to our body and talks especially about healing shame that we carry, that that's the one area that still is hanging out for a lot of people. Mm -hmm. Um, in spite of, you know, our awareness of working with different arenas with our body that we need to strengthen, that's the one that we still are kind of holding back on for a lot of us. So now you have a partner. Um, Did you you have your partner during this whole, you know, odyssey with her, um, you know, from the time you started channeling her and learning all of this? No, I was not in a relationship when she started coming to me. And um, during the first book, um, for a good part of it, I was not in a relationship. And then I started a relationship, and then that continued through the second book. It was a very central part of the second book, because the second book was where she was bringing all her instruction about sacred sexuality. And she was very clear that it was not enough just to bring her instruction. That, first of all, her instruction was very personal. It was instruction to me as very personal instruction because she said that would help people if it was personal rather than abstract. And she wanted me to tell my story of living her instruction with my partner. And um, she was so strong about that, that that's what would help people most, was people needed help knowing, what do you do with this stuff? What does it look like in our modern world, you know, in a normal person's life? And that's what I tell in the story is about what happened. And it's a pretty amazing story. And now your partner, um, was this, um, was how, how was he with all of this? He was 100% with it. He was so supportive. He loved Mary Magdalene. He loved everything she brought. And he was so grateful for her instruction. And he was thrilled about what we were practicing and learning. And he had no background whatsoever in sacred sexuality, whereas I did. I was already teaching. I was quite skilled. But he didn't. And so it was great because... It, we brought in both ends of the spectrum, and it was no obstacle whatsoever, and it was just an amazing journey. Very cool. And so what kind of experiences um, did you have when you engaged in these practices? Um, the sacred sexuality practices? Mm-hmm. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> 
we had a lot of different experiences, but a lot of just amazing, blissful experiences, being transported to places and having visions and and opening up our our chakras, our hearts, our minds, opening up to each other in profound ways, and some of them very um, ordinary in a certain sense. A lot of what she talked to me about and a lot of what we practiced, well, a significant portion, let me say, of what we practiced, had to do with communication and how to communicate um, with someone in an intimate relationship at a profound level that was absolutely essential for opening up intimately at a profound level. And so the interesting thing that I've heard from people, um, you know, since the book came out in July, I've received such wonderful responses from really everyone who's read the book. I had one person who really didn't like it. (laughs) Did me a review on Amazon. I I don't know them. I don't know who they were, but everyone else has raved about the book. But um, but what I heard more than anything else from people is what they liked the most was the instruction about communication, which totally surprised me because it's not <laughs> the major part of the book, and there's so much in there about sexuality. But I think what it is is that that's the next step for most people. And so for a lot of people, that's the part they can really relate to is, I could do this, I could do that, and they could see themselves taking that next step. And then at a later point, I think they'll be ready for the next next step. (laughs) So do you do you find that um, women have an easier time communicating than men? Um, not necessarily. (laughs) I think women have an easier time communicating about their feelings, oftentimes. But for women, often it's a it's a question of communicating at all, that women tend to just hold back and suppress themselves. And um, for men, uh, and and for women in particular, it's hard to express about what they want, and especially hard if they think it's going to be something that's going to be in conflict with what their partner wants. Um, For men, they don't have a problem, for the most part, communicating what they want. Men are much stronger in that. And their difficulty is, you know, opening up to emotions and um, and trusting, finding safety in the midst of emotional conversations. Right, right. So, um, so Mercedes, what would you say about this to people who have never heard of sacred sexuality? Well, I have had people read the book who were unfamiliar with sacred sexuality, and they loved it. And it's definitely opening them up to a new world, a new realm of possibility, and that people tell me they're excited and that they they would love to try it with their partner or if they're not in a relationship, start practicing. There's a there's tremendous amount that you can do on your own without a partner. You don't need a partner to begin. And, um, and that I've had people tell me that they feel like this is a, a great preparation for calling in their next partner and having it be a much higher level partnership than they've experienced in the past. And I was really happy to hear that. <laughs> <laughs> now, now you've, you, I think a couple times you've said the first book. Um, so is there more than just the Sublime Union book? Yes, the first book is Mary Magdalene Beckins, Join the River of Love. 
And that's the one where she talked about coming into the union between the masculine and feminine and those three areas of our body, sexuality and emotions, and especially more than anything, gave a lot of instruction about how to change our relationship to emotions. And I think she was very intentional about giving that book first for two, for two reasons. One is she thinks the emotional work is the most important, and she'd rather have people do that. If they're not going to do anything else, just do that, and that will help more than anything else. And so she wanted people to have that first. And secondly, the emotional work is really helpful if you've started that, if you've got that underway, and better yet, if you're really strong at it, as a foundation for the sexuality, bringing in sexuality. So there was a logic to what she was doing in that order, too, of um, first introducing the emotional arena and then building on that for the sacred sexuality practices. So the second book is Sublime Union, A Woman's Sexual Odyssey Guided by Mary Magdalene. So there's two books. And do you still channel her now? Oh, yes. Um, I have a newsletter that I put out every week, and it includes a message from Mary every week. And I channel her for private sessions and in group occasions. And um, I channel her very regularly. (laughs) Very cool. And um, do you ever run into people that think that the whole channeling thing is a bunch of bunk? Very rarely. I I do occasionally run into people who aren't familiar with channeling. It's a very new idea for them. And usually they're very respectful, even if, you know, they're not really on board or sure how they feel about it. They're respectful. Um, But many, many people today, I had no idea, are familiar with it and feel like there's, there's a... You know, there's a place for it, and it has value, and they're very open to it. Yeah, one more, of the, more people the greatest, are. One of the greatest uh, experiences I had around this was when I first was receiving the first book. My father, um, I was staying part of the time with my father and stepmother, and my father has a Jewish background, and my stepmother is Catholic, and... They, I was sharing the messages with them. I was so excited about what was happening. And they were wonderful. They they really enjoyed the messages. And what was so interesting to me was they each found their own value in it, which often was quite different than what I was finding. And I <laughs> saw how individually she speaks to people. It was just wonderful. But my father was having a really hard time with the whole idea of channeling. He just couldn't get it. And he was he was really disturbed. And he kept asking me questions, and no matter what I answered, it wasn't satisfying him. And finally, he came up with an idea, and he said, I think we should go visit this family friend of ours who's a priest and ask him what he thinks about this. And I said, sure, I'd be glad to do that because I like this man very, very much. So I printed out three of the recent messages that had come through that I could you know, read and share with him, and we went and visited him. I read the messages. He was very respectful and honoring and and listening. And in his response, he immediately started including Mary's languaging and ideas and what he was talking about with us. And finally, my father interrupted him. He just was 
about to explode. (laughs) (laughs) And he turned to him and he said, but father, who is this who's talking to my daughter? (laughs) (laughs) And the priest looked him right in the eyes and said, Hugh, God has always chosen certain individuals to speak through. Why shouldn't he choose your daughter? <laughs> well, you know, we I, I think um, we forget about all the people in the Bible who were channeling supposedly divine messages. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah, yeah. And, for you know, for some reason it's okay for, you know, Mary to get a message from the Holy Spirit or, um, <laughs> you know, so, somebody else. Right, but, or the prophets, or whatever. Yeah, 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 yes. yeah, absolutely. Well, and as I long think as it about you know, a long Edgar, time ago. <laughs> or I well, but but you know, in contemporary times, I was thinking about Edgar Casey. You know, mm-hmm. um, absolutely. You know, he, he he could tap into um, you know and and receive uh, divine guidance and messages uh, as well. You know, I, sometimes I think it's it's a it's an ability that probably more of us could do, but we've we've forgotten how. Well, that's exactly what I felt was the case with me. And, you know, I had to s- s- find the key that reopened the door, and suddenly it all came back. And right. not only did it come back channel, you know, connecting with Mary, but suddenly I could connect with all these ascended beings. I could read Akashic records. I just had... All these abilities, I had no idea that I had. So, and what do you what do you do with that, Mercedes? I mean, how does that, you know, how does that change your life now? I love this question. This is one of my favorite questions. <laughs> it really changed my life. Really changed my life. First of all, my life has become totally in service to Mary Magdalene and her work, and. I, um, that's what I do. I used my savings, just about everything that I had, to put out her the books of her communications. And I've, you know, followed my guidance. I've moved two times across country, you know, following guidance of where I'm supposed to be now. And I think I have the most wonderful, blessed life. But it's not what I ever imagined. Yeah, And it's really a life of service and trusting God in a profound way that I totally feel Mary constantly demonstrating and communicating. And I am learning how to do that and, and how to give myself to service to God. Well, that's a beautiful story, Mercedes. Well, thank you. And there, there's so, another piece that I really want to share. Okay. Which is that... Um, Mary's demonstration to me is such a perfect demonstration of a woman who is so in love with God and so in love with her partner who she sees as God and to me that is what all of us have the possibility of being and doing Whether so does, she see, does she see herself as a goddess as his equal Absolutely, absolutely. But she doesn't focus on herself. Her fo- well, her focus is on God. She is so one-pointed on her focus on God. 
but her love for Yeshua is unmistakable, so complete, so pure, and so absolute. And that's what I feel like I have been opened up to and I am being, I see this change ongoing in my life of I'm learning what it is to be not only in service to God, in love with God, and in love with the masculine. And that's a change for me. Mm -hmm. That is Mm -hmm. different from how I have known myself and how I have lived my life in the past. And it's this life of this, this, I can't say that I'm there, but I'm underway of knowing what it is to be rapturously in love. Well, that's inspiring. That's very inspiring. Well, Mercedes, we're going to probably have to come to a close now. Is there anything you want to add that maybe I haven't thought to ask you? Well, um, if there's time, I would love to read a short quote from Mary. Okay. All right. Let's um, let's wrap it up with that. Okay. Um, this is a quote that's actually the very from the very last message she gave in the first book, Mary Magdalene Beckins, where she's um, calling to all of us and inviting all of us to join her in this great work of loving God and transforming ourselves in God. And this is what she says. I and so many others are calling to you to join us in the river of love that flows from your heart. It is a place of great joy and love and peace. It is the place of connection with God, of growing in God, of being guided by God, of living in God, of living as God, of knowing all as God. I do not know of anything more wonderful than that. I call to you and invite you to join us in this great and wondrous process of living in and as God. I do this because I love you, because I know you as God, and I am not different from you. This is your destiny, too. Hmm. That's lovely. Lovely. Well, Mercedes, um, wow, um, interesting stuff. Um, what a what a story! Um, it, and it sounds like so many people are getting so much uh, from your book. Uh, thank you for, you know, coming on the show tonight and and sharing with listeners. Oh, you are so welcome. Thank you for having me. It's my great joy to share this with as many people as possible. And uh, just to repeat your uh, website again, uh, you have a couple. You have MercedesKirkle.com. You have Mm -hmm. Sublime-Union.com. And you Uh have MaryMagdaleneBeckins.com. So your personal website and websites for the two books. Right. And if you go to my personal website, you'll be able to get to the books from there. And you also can sign up for the the free newsletter from there and start getting messages from Mary Magdalene. Wow. 
Okay. Well, how can you turn that down? <laughs> well, thank you, Mercedes. Have a have a wonderful holiday and and best of luck with the book and uh, keep that channel open. <laughs> Sounds good. Thank you so much, Karen. Oh, you're welcome. Good night. Good night. And here's a word from Joe Carson and uh, Dancing with Gaia. I think. Oh, looks like we're having a little bit of trouble. Let's try something else. Well, that's weird. Uh, My switchboard is a little bit unresponsive right now. Well, um, I guess then that's the perfect time for another excerpt uh, from my new book, Goddess Calling. And um, here's one that, uh, that I like. It's called uh, Our Weapons Are Many. Our weapons are many, and we need them all because patriarchy will not just roll over and die because we will it, pray for it, or think positive thoughts. Our books of knowledge are our weapons because knowledge is power. Has not patriarchy tried their best to keep knowledge of goddess and women's natural Most people see humankind as really separate from nature and separate from the earth. Most people's psychic experiences are dreaming. And it's thought that it's the pineal gland making this chemical that does it. Now, this was the core finding. The core finding that the pineal gland makes a hallucinogen. We all hallucinate. We all go into a state of consciousness that, for me, is the collective unconscious. The psychic state is the collective unconscious, which is that consciousness of the planet. What's called the chthonic mind. The mind of the earth. Because all peoples... All races, all tribes from the past and right around the world have myths and legends which use symbols and archetypes which are identical. Identical. Every human being experiences this state of consciousness which is the dream mind. That symbolic, archetypal, exemplified by fairy tales or the creation myths and legends of all the different peoples. The symbols of them are the same, and to me that is the consciousness of the earth speaking to us. Joe Carson's film, Dancing with Gaia. Uh, Dancing with Gaia explores the connection between Earth energy, sacred sexuality, and the goddesses Gaia. It features 15 visionaries who give us tools to feel the life of the planet within ourselves. The DVD comes with a 45-page mini-book and costs just $20. That sounds like something you're interested in. Please uh, go and get your own copy at dancingwithgaia.com. That's Dancing with Gaia.com. And um, I was in the middle um, of uh, reading an excerpt from um, Goddess Calling, and uh, it's called Our Weapons Are Many. 
And it says, uh, I've written here, our weapons are many and we need them all because patriarchy will not just roll over and die because we will it, pray for it, or think positive thoughts. Our books of knowledge are our weapons because knowledge is power. Has not patriarchy tried their best to keep knowledge of goddess and women's natural leadership and spiritual authority from us? Intuition is our weapon. Women intuitively know how to birth life, nurture, and multitask. They are the glue keeping homes, businesses, and organizations going. If women stopped serving the status quo, if they stopped volunteering tomorrow, how many would collapse? Our voice is our weapon. Has patriarchy not tried to make us content and satisfied, being subservient and our power diminished? We must find our sacred rage and our sacred roar and let our wisdom and intellect reverberate out across the ethers to be heard by all. Our written word is our weapon, for the pen can be mightier than the sword. Each of you sitting here has changed her life or his life, not at the point of a dagger, but because of the information you have no doubt read or been taught. Our tenacity and strength are our weapons, Any woman who was birthed or raised a child, had a book published, started an organization, manifested an idea, taught an idea, manifested a temple or taught an idea, they all know the strength, courage, and determination women possess. Remember, women, we do 80% of the work around the world, even if under patriarchy we only earn 20% of the assets. Our weapons are our innate ability to intuit, to love and nurture, to support our sisters, to tend and befriend in times of stress. We must begin to stand shoulder to shoulder thinking of the us and we, not the I and me. And finally, our weapon is the wisdom we embody and the power of the life-affirming creatrix, while patriarchy is the obsolete and forceful destroyer We must remember who we are. Well, I hope you enjoyed tonight's show, and um, I want to close with this uh, final news uh, that uh, folks have been started have started signing up for the tour I am co-leading with Dr. James Reedfeld to Sacred Sites of Turkey in May of next year for 16 days. Yes, we're going to sacred sites in the land that was once called Anatolia, or Land of the Nourishing Mothers. Dr. Reedfeld is one of the foremost American authorities on Artemis of Ephesus. He's also an archaeologist and a religion scholar. Um, He's uh, one of the contributors to the new book, Voices of the Sacred Feminine. And um, we're probably only going to take about 20 women or men on the journey, so the experience will be very personal, very one-on-one. As we go to different sites of goddess every day, often where tourists rarely tread, so we have lots of private time to just absorb the energy of these sacred sites, absorb the energy and essence of uh, these places dedicated to Cabelli, Isis, Mary, Aphrodite, Artemis, Kubaba, and the Anatolian Museum, uh, wow, it is not to be missed, but neither is the sacred shopping, the rituals at the sites, experiencing the whirling dervishes, the Turkish baths, purchasing fresh-squeezed pomegranate juice from sidewalk vendors. I don't know why that feels so sacred to me, but it really does. 
this is going to be a journey of a lifetime, and um, no, it's not cheap, but it will be well worth it. And one good thing is, uh, as I've mentioned before, Turkey is not on the euro yet. So once you're there, your money stretches rather nicely, and the food is just terrific. So let me hear from you if you think you want to know more. Uh, you can go to my website, KarenTate.com. There's a sacred tour page that will take you to a link uh, for the tour operator. There's also uh, a link that will show you some uh, pictures of where we're going to travel, a little video that was put together from uh, last time uh, we took uh, a pilgrimage there. You can also look at the event on my Facebook page to find the itinerary. And... Um, on that little YouTube video, I just love the scene when we're at the Temple of Artemis cutting open the pomegranate. It just reminded me of her sacred blood flowing out on the stones of her ancient temple. Well, listeners, um, I guess uh, it's about time for me to say goodnight. Um, next week I will have with me Jan aldridge Clanton. Uh, she will be with me uh, here on the 19th. And um, I'm going to close tonight's show with an outtake from uh, FEM, uh, Women Healing the World, if my switchboard opens. And uh, then we'll conclude with a little bit of music because uh, we have a little bit of time tonight. So here goes. Well, yeah, I've had a one-sided view of the divine. And the reason we've had a one-sided view of the divine is because the myths that uh, our society lives by are the myths that only speak about a male god. When, in fact, a goddess has been around for 30, 30 or 40,000 years, uh, we can look to the artifacts, we can look to the archaeological sites, we can look to the textiles, we can look to the myths. But, you know, because religion is about power and politics, uh, the sacred feminine has sort of been swept beneath the sands of time. And uh, the mythology of goddess uh, has been uh, obscured purposefully uh, because this is all about um, uh, uplifting uh, the patriarchy as opposed to um, having a balanced society where you have the attributes of the feminine and the masculine uh, in control in society. So when you consider that uh, one person's myth is another person's religion, uh, and, and when that myth is um, dominated by a male guide, well, then you have male leadership uh, that, that predominates in society. So as a result, women have been subjugated and goddesses uh, become our role models, they become our archetypes. So when we only have a male god that, that is at the center of society, well, that sets the male gender up to be the leader of the society, and, and that then um, subjugates women to sort of a second-class supporting role rather than a partnership, rather than uh, an equal role where they are, uh, in a sense, um, you know, looking over humankind together, or men and women, or uh, leading and ruling together. Well, that was an outtake from Femme, Women Healing the World. Um, you probably remember I've talked about that uh, on the show. 
Uh, it's an incredible documentary put together by Sharon Stone and Emmanuel ATA of uh, Wonderland Entertainment. Uh, it's courageous in the fact that it actually has the courage to start at the beginning. Talk about uh, when... Uh, on Earth here, uh, the oldest religion, goddess religion, and uh, talks about how Abrahamic religions have uh, created this imbalance. But most important, it gets into solutions about how we can actually save ourselves. So if you'd like more information about Fam Women Healing the World, uh, again, go to my website, KarenTate.com, and right there on the first page, uh, you'll see the logo for Fem. You can scroll down to it, and um, you can very inexpensively uh, watch the film uh, streaming live or download it. And I really encourage that you do. Uh, I really uh, encourage everyone to share it with people, talk about it, uh, turn it into a movie night, show it at your church, to your, uh, you know, to your women and men friends. Um, it's an important subject. And I think we all need to educate ourselves and uh, and be talking about it. So um, in closing tonight, uh, I've chosen Celia's cut called Meta Prayer. Uh, enjoy, my dear listeners, and I will be back with you next Wednesday night. Good night. Beings of the world have fresh, clean water to 
be. 